Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was, wa- while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Can we give Katie a hand for all that? I now know who to go to if I want to be known. Katie just has a wonderful presence about her, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, you know, I don't know if I believe or what I believe about uh, um, demonic possession, but we must have something with our laptop today. So uh, if, if it, it's not Kelly's fault, uh, I don't know what it is. But Good morning. morning. My name is Christian Kuhn, and I am the pastor here of this community. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and it is great to have you here with us today. Again, welcome to our online folks. Uh, it is great to have you here with us as well. So um, some of you know we have a dog in our home named Winnie. Uh, Before Winnie, we had a lovely dog named Stella. Uh, And we used to live uh, up in the northern suburbs in Highland Park with this lovely yard uh, out in uh, in the back of our house. And Stella and I would play this game uh, where she would be at one part uh, end of the yard and I would be on the other and I would kneel down. I would say, come here, Stella, come here. And she would, like, she was a border collie mix, and so she kind of went up and started running toward me, and then she would always, like, veer away from me at the last minute. And this was the game that we played. She'd go, come on, Stella, shh, miss me. Oh, it's a fun game. One day, for whatever reason, 
I don't know what happened. I don't know what, if it was, what was in the, the moon or whatever. I said, same game. Come on, Stella, come on. She comes and she comes and there's no veering. And so she's coming and like, boom, our heads like bonk together. And I was like, what happened to the veering? Uh, and I'm bleeding uh, on my forehead. And Stella, I think, is staggering a little bit as well. And so we fixed it up and I actually went to the doctor. because it was a pretty big gash. And so I went to the doctor. And the doctor said, you know, you may want to go to a plastic surgeon uh, to look at that. Now, my first reaction was plastic surgeon. I mean, I don't know if that's really necessary. I had visions of what plastic surgeons do. I thought this was a pretty minor thing. But I finally said, OK, I'll go. Uh, and I went, and uh, I went to see this woman, this plastic surgeon. It was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had at the doctor. Mainly because she was looking at me and said, well, we could do a little bit here. And my initial response was, oh, we don't need to do anything. It's just, you know, nothing. But she said something, this was many years ago. She said something that I will never, ever forget. And she held me by the chin. She said, this is your face. And she said it in such a lovely way. And I was like, this is my face. <laughs> Do whatever you want, doctor. And it was like, it's a very minor thing. But I have never forgotten that statement that she said. And I have a feeling she says that. I have no idea if she has ulterior motives, whatever. But just the way that she said that, this is your face. And she's right. We all have that as well. Sometimes we look in the mirror, we may or may not like what we see, but I always remember that when I try to see someone. This is your face. As Doug noted, we are in the middle of this sermon series called What Does It Mean to Be Human, especially as we talk about and reflect on the whole AI thing. And so we thought it would be interesting. We do a little bit of talk about AI and what it means, but really, on the flip side of that, we want to talk about what does it mean to be human. And this week, as I was reading this through this passage, and I thought about the whole thing, some of you on your phones, do you have something like facial ID or facial recognition or something like that? This very kind of handy thing. So rather than typing in a password, you can just show your face and boom. And oh, Julia sent me a text too. Boom. And it just kind of goes right in without you having to type anything in. So there's some parts of that called facial recognition that can be helpful. But in reading about facial recognition, there's a shadow side to that as well. And so I was thinking and reflecting, what does it mean for us to recognize our faces? And we see some of that a little bit in our passage today from the Gospel of Luke. Um, some of you know we are actually a multi-site church, and so 95% of the time all of our sites are preaching from the same uh, scripture. I'm going rogue today a little bit, so don't tell the other sites that I'm doing this. Uh, but there's a, this is one of my favorite passages from Luke, and I think it fits kind of this notion of what does it mean to recognize someone. And so we see here in the passage, this is the risen Christ who has come in the midst of his followers. Now we see here in verse 16 in the Gospel of Luke, it says that their eyes were being kept from recognizing him. So the risen Christ comes alongside them, and they don't know who he is. Now, in reading some of the commentaries this week, there are lots of guesses as to why that is. Some folks, maybe uh, it is uh, God who is uh, impeding them being able to recognize them for whatever reason. Or maybe it's because they are so distraught uh, by what has happened, and they're so looking uh, inward to a place where they just can't see anything else. 
Or maybe they just can't even comprehend. They figure, they thought, I saw Jesus die. They heard the news. He is dead. They can't even fathom their, that he would come back. In this. So it wasn't even on their minds. Any of these perhaps could be. They did not recognize him. But then they continue to talk with him and they encourage him to stay and have a meal with them. And then this stranger in their minds stands up and goes through this same process of having a meal with them that he does in other parts of the gospel, including the stories of the feeding of the 4,000 or 5,000. It's the same pattern. Jesus takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. If you read almost any of the other feeding stories, it's the exact same pattern. Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to him. These four verbs are Jesus' signature. And it's a powerful moment. One scholar said this, that this is not necessarily Eucharist as we know it today, but the scholar says every meal has the potential of being an event in which hospitality and table fellowship can become sacred occasions. Let me read that again. Every meal has the potential of being an event in which hospitality and table fellowship can become sacred occasions. He breaks the bread. He gives it to them. And then their eyes are opened. That's when they recognize who is in their midst. And then the text tells us he disappears. Sometimes maybe we feel like that in our own faith lives. We think we maybe have got a handle on who God is, and I think I'm on board a little bit with who Jesus is, and just when we think we've got it, all of a sudden, like, I guess I don't know it after all. It's like Jesus disappears, and we continue to go on that journey and trying to figure this out. Recognition, even if Jesus is walking alongside them, recognition is not always easy. And so we look for those moments when we can recognize who is in our midst. I'm looking at all of you lovely faces today and recognizing, and sometimes people say, I'm not so good with names, but we can maybe remember a face. And this whole concept of recognizing faces happens when we are just infants. So one of the joys of being a pastor is that I sometimes am able to get into situations that not everybody can get into. So uh, my wife and I were able to go last week and meet uh, the new twins in our community uh, that uh, Rachel Ono had, Yuna and Irie, these twin uh, girls. And so it was just a joy to be able to hold. We held, Yuna was sleeping, Yuna didn't want to see me, and so uh, Irie got all of our attention. So just to look down at them, and you can just see their little brains are just trying to figure out who is this person. Scholars believe that uh, most babies can recognize a parent about three months or so. And I was reading about a brand new study that even I think is more miraculous about how we, our, our own little computers in our head, can figure things out. This was out of the University of California at Davis. And this study said that six to nine-month-old babies can form memories of masked faces and recognize those faces when they are unmasked. Isn't that a miracle? That if we're wearing masks, perhaps, when we see one another, and then they take that, they're still able to do that. The study had 58 babies. I don't know if these were all like babies in high chairs or how this worked. But in the study, 58 babies, each seated on a parent's lap or high chair, they were shown pairs of masked and unmasked women's faces on a computer screen. And apparently, 
and cameras recorded all this, and apparently babies linger longer over unfamiliar images. And that's how they were able to tell that they can recognize someone whether they were masked or unmasked. Our ability to see faces and recognize and see them is just amazing. Now on the flip side, how AI does it is something else. Part of AI is what's called analysis. And this is a step that maps faces. And what it does, it measures the distance between the eyes, the shape of the chin, and the distance between the nose and the mouth. And then it converts it into a string of numbers or points in order to log in what you need to know. So it's looking at putting together numbers and points. Now on the one hand, again, when we think about the whole concept of facial recognition, when we think, oh, I love that, I can just look at my phone and boom, I'm in. Or actually sometimes this kind of AI can be helpful for people who are blind or have low vision. But on the flip side, of course, as well, you might have heard and know that it can have harmful effects. Even the best facial recognition software can falsely match individuals. And some software misidentifies some black and Asian people a hundred times more than white men. A hundred times more than white men. So we might think, oh, facial recognition, it's so great. And yet it can be used for harm, particularly for people of color in our society. So I tend to kind of like the facial recognition that you and I have, even if we see a face and we know, I know their name, it's somewhere in the back of my brain, but yet we see them, perhaps. And we see them, and I love Katie's testimony, we see them perhaps and we can see this individual who so desperately wants to be known, but they don't want you to know who they are. <laughs> I've been reading this book, uh, by an author named Andy Crouch called The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming a Relationship in a Technological World. And he shares this exercise that he did that I love, and it's all about what does it mean to see one another and maybe in a sense recognize them, not like know them like you actually know their whole life story, but you see them in a different way. He tells the story, he said he was really reflecting in, on the story in Genesis that we are all made in the image of God. And he was so struck by this. And that's something perhaps maybe if you've gone to church before and we all hear it, but we don't really hear it, we don't feel it, that we're all made in the image of God. So he decided to do this experiment of sorts, this walking meditation. So he was at O'Hare, he had a layover, and he had not been able to really do much walking or exercise in recent days. So he decided, I'm gonna start walking down concourses. And as he did so, he had this practice that he would look at every individual that he walked by and he would say to himself, image bearer. I'm going to read an excerpt from the book here. He said, I started out my journey at a brisk pace, backpack cinched tight on my shoulders. And as I walked, I decided, or as I walked, I passed a weary looking man in a suit, image bearer. Right behind him was a woman in a sari, image bearer. A mother pushed a stroller with a young baby. A young man, presumably the baby's father, walked next to her, half holding, half dragging a toddler by the hand, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. A ramp worker walked by in a bulky coat and safety vest, image bearer. A gate agent was checking in the last few passengers on a plane to Fort Lauderdale, image bearer. 
Few of the people I pass look genuinely happy or sad, but then those emotions are generally reserved for the airport's outer courts. Instead, they looked by turn bored, anxious, patient, cautious, maybe even faintly hopeful. But by the end of my walk, I was overwhelmed in a way I had not expected. I had passed people in every stage of life and health of an uncountable number of national and ethnic backgrounds, some traveling together, most seemingly alone. The stories I would never learn behind each of those faces, the years of life that had shaped their posture and gait, the possibility and futility each one had known and would know, all set to the relentless soundtrack of those two words, image bearer. It carried an emotional and spiritual weight I can still feel years later. And from time to time, I repeat this exercise on a city street and a coffee shop, even driving on the highway where faces are just a blur behind a windshield. Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. He quotes the pastoral care, the late uh, Leanne Payne, who is a pastoral care leader and author. And she said of the spiritual life, she said, we either contemplate or we exploit. Meaning, we either ask ourselves, what can this person do for me? Or who or what am I beholding without regard for their usefulness for me? It's a really interesting thought. When we see somebody else, what goes through our mind? When we see their faces, do we recognize the image of God in them? Now, friends, I, full confession, I wrote this in my blurb this week in our e-newsletter, I hate to even think about the number of times I see somebody and I think, okay, how can I make use of this person so that I can get done what I need to get done? I exploit rather than contemplate, rather than seeing this person and saying, who or what am I beholding right now in my midst? Who is this beautiful person who is made in the image of God. Who is this image bearer? How do I recognize them when I see their face because of who God created me to be and who I can see in them? Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. We all have such beautiful faces. And yet we are in a society, perhaps, that tells you that you can do better than what you have in front of you. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. You have been created in the image of God. And I believe that the risen Christ recognizes you in your own facial recognition. And then we are called to go out in the world and to behold other faces as well so that we can see in them beauty, sacredness, holiness. And so that we can see them and perhaps say to ourselves, this is your face. This is your face. This is your face made in the image of God. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for miracles in our midst. There is wondrous technology that we use every single day that sometimes we 
forget and don't make use of the miracle of who you have made us to be. Help us when we see one another, when we behold the faces of everyone we come across to see them as an image of you so that they know that themselves because that's how you see us. Thanks be to God for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.